Welcome back to Living More of a Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Jane Tarrant, and today I've got with me Simon Elson. He's a business coach in his mid-50s, having started five businesses and worked in a number of different companies. We discuss how 80% of the business owners Simon speaks to don't know what they want to achieve. This podcast is relevant to anybody, whether you're a business owner or not. We discuss the concept of the watchers, the wingers, and the winners in a situation like COVID-19. And we talk about how powerful it is to be held accountable on your journey. I think if you sat me in front of anybody today, I could convince them that they're probably working too hard and they need to just get their work-life balance right. So on our coaching sheets, when we finish, there is a question about work-life balance. I would say probably nine out of 10 people never fill it in. And the reason they don't fill it in is because they don't want to be honest about how much they're working and how little they're doing at home. So I always pick up on it. What are you currently dealing with as the most crucial part of your business? Um, so we've been through, um, if I kind of describe the last four months, I suppose, is probably probably a, a good place to start. So, you know, March, nobody was expecting what happened. Um, lots of businesses in that last week of March either had to close their doors completely um, or modify their business um, sufficiently severely that their you know their revenue their in, their income and their ability to earn was was impacted um, so I put out a video actually that I think the first week of April that that kind of followed that initial phase which was entitled the watchers the wingers and the winners so the watchers who just sit there and cross their arms and go okay I'm going to wait to see what happens the winners who plan what they're going to do to get out of it and the wingers who all complained that the sky was falling in and uh, the world was never going to be the same again. And uh, and that that got quite a lot of impact on uh, on LinkedIn. But it's been absolutely true. So if I look across my client base, we, we work with somewhere between 40 and 50 businesses who pay something for something in terms of coaching or mentoring over time. Um, and a percentage of those buried their head in the sand, didn't know what to do next. So we had to coerce them back out and get them into the planning process. Some were absolutely, um, you know, saw it as an opportunity of redesign their business completely, hired new staff, um, you know, changed their product line. Um, I've got one guy who's increased his business by over 40% in four months, um, which is just wow. you know, mind, mind blowing. And then others in the middle who've, who've had to close one business, but have diversified, started another one. Um, so I coach a local pub that do a cocktail business on the side. And they've built a business called the Berkhamsted Bottling Company, where they sell pre-made cocktails, freshly made on the day, bottled, delivered to your house. It's making more money than the pub and the other business put together. Um, <laughs> so it's just it's one of those things, right? You know, it depends on how how you deal with a crisis. I think that's probably that's probably the the, the thing that we've seen that's the most indicative of how people are going to cope. Apparently, a lot of people are dealing with the crisis by drinking a lot of cocktails at home. Well, there you go. There you go. And that is absolutely true. So, you know, drinking is a national habit these days in the UK. And so if you could have a fresh mojito delivered to your door on a Friday night, well, why wouldn't you? Do they come in like little bartender outfits or, you know, something really smart? <laughs> Uh, do, they have, do they have a towel draped over their arm as they serve it across yeah, the absolutely. threshold? Absolutely. So they're, they're, uh, their cocktail uh, making business used to attend private parties. So you'd have, you know, well-to-do people or well-known people in many cases phone up and they turn up with a bar 
with all the gear and they'd, they'd be the mixologist for the night, mixing whatever cocktails the audience wanted. Um, and so having had that mothballed because you couldn't turn up at somebody's house and mix cocktails for 60 guests, this was just such a log- logical thing to do. So they rebranded their vans. You're right. They went out wearing, you know, the right outfit to turn up to deliver these cocktails and things. And it's, uh, it, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing to watch. Awesome. Um, and, and how many clients are you helping at the moment? Um, so we, we operate anywhere between 40 and 50. Um, about half of those will be one-to-one coaching clients. So where there'll be time allocated every week to a, a coaching or mentoring session around, you know, their business challenges, developing their business, often developing the business owner, because, of course, that's, I always say, 80% of the problems with most businesses are in the business owner's head, not anywhere else. And if you can deal with that, then you can unwrap the business and allow it to kind of prosper. Um, so about half one to one. And then there's a mixture with the others. Some of them join a group we call Mentor Club, which is a small group of um business owners that work together on developing each other's business as part of the group Um, and then we do four times a year we do things called growth club planning sessions where you turn up and write your 90-day plan with the help of a business coach and those guys will go away and then come back three months later for another session we help you write a business plan for the next 90 days with actions dates timelines and you end up with a lovely gantt chart at the end of it that says here's what i'm going to do over the next 90 days you send that to me, share that with me, and then I hold you to account during the period to make sure that you're delivering on the stuff you need to deliver week by week to get your plan achieved in 90 days. And a week before the end of the 90 days, you come in for the next session and we move on. So four times a year is usually enough to keep people on track to get them to create a, uh, a very healthy, strong and profitable business. And I could point you to 20 or 30 people that have been through three or four of those and um keep coming back every quarter because it just works for them. So so you mentioned accountability there. Mm-hmm. I spoke to Katri Barrett about this on the second episode as well. And she's a life and business coach. Mm-hmm. You're a business coach. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the biggest difficulty that businesses have when they don't have accountability? When, they, when the person who's leading um, or trying to grow their business doesn't have accountability? Um, so, so obviously there's a there's a big variety of people that own businesses. So, so we run a behavioral profile on everybody that we work with. So it's not psychological, it's behavioral. So in these circumstances, you can expect this person to behave like this. And so you end up with four reasonable, reasonably firm categories of business owners. So those that love data analytics and numbers, typically your accountant or your project manager, those that like teams, systems, and harmony and those people would usually be in the HR category or something similar where they can work together as a group of you know well coordinated individuals focused on a specific task then you have the um, the people where it's all about me <laughs> or all about them should I say because of course it's not all about me uh, but those are the eyes of the group so those are the people that want to be seen to be doing things differently to stand out uh, and make an impact in that way and then you have those who want to be in charge so you've got the directors those who are very demanding those who, who are very outspoken and upfront about the things that they want to be able to achieve and you can also get some people who sit in two of those camps or even three of those camps so so it's a very long answer to your uh, uh, to your question the d's don't like accountability so the ones who want to be in charge don't like to be brought to book for things that they're not doing. 
and the eyes or the, the standout people will take that quite well, as with it will the other two. Um, so if I looked across all of my businesses, I've got a couple of people who fall into that D category. And so I hold them accountable by mentoring them rather than by coaching them. And there's a distinct difference between the two. So we will work on something together as colleagues in a way that enables them to see the light rather than me saying, Jane, two weeks ago when we met, you said you were going to achieve this and you haven't done it. So what's the problem? What did you miss? Can I help? And so there's a real fine balance between challenge, accountability and support, which is the mentoring piece, if you will. So you have to get that balance right, depending on who it is you're uh, depending on who is you're dealing with. No, I think absolutely. I think the accountability and support concept is really important. I think everybody reacts differently to saying they'll do something, not doing it, and then somebody calling them out. I'm changing the way I am with that at the moment, but I do find it difficult and I also think that sometimes it's okay that you don't achieve what you said you're going to achieve if it is the right thing for you. So, for example, if you've been unwell or you've gone through a particular phase where, you know, you can't do everything all the time. And that's quite a difficult one, especially when you're talking to a business coach that you're a bit like, you know, I just didn't have the energy to physically get out of bed that day or I didn't have the um, the capacity with the extra things that happened in my family that week or whatever. And I think that can be quite difficult because it can be seen as an excuse or it can be seen as you can't be everything to everybody and you've got to let it fall somewhere. And what's your key priority? Where do you kind of feel on, on that situation? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I, I think the um, ev- everything has a has a cause uh, and everything has a, a consequence. So, you know, Jane, you said you were going to do that. You didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? Uh, you know, I, I felt unwell or I didn't have the energy. OK, so let's just look at that for a minute. So so what what do you think made, made you feel like that? Why, why were you feeling unwell? Well, I didn't have the energy. I'd been doing this, that and the other. OK, so is, this, is there a question there, Jane? Do we need to be looking at, you know, overall health? Is there something we can look at that might help you to kind of get through that process? So that in a year's time, when we're looking at this again, you don't have to tell me that you've been unwell or you're feeling low on energy or whatever else it might be. And so that's more of a support than it is a challenge. Other people, I might approach it differently and I might just say, John, I'm really sorry, but that's an excuse. You know, I know you and I saw your social media post the weekend, right? You were playing cricket. So so you can't tell me you didn't have the energy to do it. Did you not have the energy because you've been drinking after you've been playing cricket? And I will call him out on it. And most of the time I'll get a laugh or I'll get, okay, you got me. I'll do it for next week. That's fine. Occasionally somebody might get a little more tetchy about that. But I think at the lowest possible point as a business coach, I care about the people that I work with. I care about their businesses and I care that they're able to achieve what they want. Right. Because none of this is actually for me. Whilst I feel good if somebody does well, this is about the client. And so if there's something preventing them getting from A to B, whether it's feeling unwell, low on energy, not enough cash, poor team, Um, no systemization in their business, whatever that is, we'll go and tackle that and we'll try to move on to the next phase. So I'll give you an example. I've got a guy who is, um, he spends about 10 hours a day in his business and and he's got a nice business. So they turn over just just over a million, about 1.2, 1.3 million, half a dozen staff, but he'll continuously tell me that he hasn't kept up with his exercise regime. And yet he knows that if he goes out running three times a week, the amount of energy he's got as a result of that is, is huge. So why didn't you do it? What stopped you from doing? Oh, I couldn't find my trainers in time. 
Really? Is that really an excuse? I spent too long at the pub the night before. Okay, so so what are we going to do next week then? Are you going to do the same thing? Or are we going to get back on the exercise machine? Because you know that to achieve your goals, you need to be out running three times a week. And so do you see it's not I'm not chastising him for the sake of chastising him. I'm chastising him because I want him to achieve the things that he wants. And in order to do that, he's got to do certain things. Does that make sense? Yes. And I mean, when someone is chastised or you know they're told sometimes that's enough for them to go yeah okay all right I'll go and do it I don't want you on my back for (laughs) other people the 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 pull is not strong enough the reason why is not strong enough and I think that's a really important part that we all would love to live a great life and to live more of a life but if we don't really know what it is we're trying to achieve yes we're not going to stay on the path of positive change in our life if we don't really value the end result or that we're not incredibly scared of the alternative end result. Uh, for, For example, if we get very, very ill, and we're told if you don't change your way, you will be dead within three months. <laughs> you know, yeah. some, that's pretty hardcore. And somebody's going to, to start changing their life if they value having a life in the same way as somebody says, well, unless you do this, you won't be able to keep your house. You know, you won't be able to have your home for your children and yeah. for your family and you'll be back wherever living with your parents that might be enough <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so so that's quite an interesting one isn't it where it, that pull oh, absolutely. is the key part of this isn't it absolutely and, and I think if I, I I like trying to kind of apply a, a percentage or a number to everything so if I looked at all the businesses I've met in the last two years and let's just say that number's 100 where I've had a significant conversation with a business owner about what it is they want to achieve I wouldn't be lying if I said to you that 80% of them don't know what they want to achieve. So they're in business because usually they thought it was better, easier. They've always wanted to do it. They thought they could make some money out of it. They didn't like their last boss. You know, there are a whole bunch of a whole litany of reasons why they might want to get into business for themselves. But my question, so usually I've got two questions. So my first question is, if I asked you, Jane, to describe what your finished house looks like, what the perfect location for you to live is, you could probably tell me where in the country, how big, how many bathrooms, bedrooms, garage, land, et cetera, et cetera. Would that be a fair question to ask? Usually the answer I'll get is yes. And if I couldn't, my wife would help me or my husband would. Okay, great, fine. So what does your finished business look like? What do you want it to be when it's complete? Oh, well, I've never thought about that. No, I know you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) But if you think about that, what is the destination? So this is the same as getting in your car and I ask you, Jane, to get in your car tomorrow and to drive to Latvia. You know roughly where it is, right? It's somewhere northeast of here. But but how are you going to get there if you've got no sat-nav, no BAP, no dashboard in your car? How are you going to do that? Have I got enough fuel? Do I turn right on the M1, left on the M1? Do I go to Harwich? Do I go to Folkestone? Do I go to, you know, all of those questions. How do I get there? Do you just get in your car and start driving? Most business owners get in their car and start driving. What's your destination? If I'm a business owner uh, and I know where I'm going, so let me just uh, so I've got a particular guy that that I work with, a former professional footballer who's quite focused on having a business that's worth five million pounds in five years' time that he can sell and he and his wife can go and put their feet up and take it easy for a bit. Great. Now that's life's really easy, right? He knows what it is. And now we can define together a path for him to get there, as opposed to the guy around the corner who happens to run a um, manufacturing business. He's at six and a half million. And I say to him, where do you where do you want to go? What, you know, what's the what's the end game? And he'll say, well, I don't know. 
Well, how old are you? I'm 58. Okay, so so when do you want to retire? Well, I don't think I'll ever retire. Right, <laughs> really? So your business is not doing particularly well. It's not making any money. Your staff are unhappy. You're working 70 hours a week and you don't know where you want your business to be. Is that absolutely true? So the end result of that conversation is I will bring them to my office and I'll lock them in the door with a pot in, in the office with a pot of coffee, usually for five or six hours. And we won't leave that room until we've agreed what the destination is for their business. And it's like a big blinding flash of light for people. They go, oh, my God, I've never thought of any of this. No, of course you haven't, because nobody trains you to run a business, right? And That's so very true. That realization that your business could be something to get you somewhere to give you something is massive for most people. Otherwise, they're just going to work. You might as well go and get a job. Honestly, you're not in control of it. You're not enjoying it. You work in 70. Just go get a job. It's easier and less risky. And it's not really about what you want the business to be necessarily, but what the business can allow you to do. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So the formula that we use, and I don't want to get too too deep into business coaching, because this is, I know, is a much more generalized conversation. But in order to have something, you first, you need to know what you want to have, right? A million pounds, a Ferrari, um, a happy life, whatever it is, whatever the have happens to be, and then you've got to do something to get the have piece, right? So if I if I want my million pound house, I've got to do lots of great things to generate enough money for me personally so that I can buy that million pound house. And then my question is, okay, so who have I who have you got to be to do that? Do you have the skills today to do that stuff to have what you want? Probably not. So the reason you work with a business coach is to develop the skills so that you can be the person who's qualified to do the stuff that you have to do to have the stuff that you want. And if you don't know what the have is, that's where we start. Lock them in the office, turn the lock on the door, get a pot of coffee and don't let them leave until you know what the have is. Once you know that, you can define the do. And then once you know that, you can get to work on the 80% of problems that are in the business owner's head so they can be the person to do the stuff to have what they want. That's brilliant. Sounds really easy, doesn't it? Sounds really easy. Sounds really easy. So this is, you know, not everybody listening to this podcast will be having their own business. However, it doesn't mean that it's not still relevant if they are looking for a particular way of life. Uh, They may they may need to go through different career paths. They might end up with their own business because they might realize that it's one of the only ways to achieve what it is they want, uh, unless they can get a company to uh, or find a company who allows them to live in a way that suits them. For example, working from home you know before it was like if you were working from home you're probably working on something a little bit dodgy a little bit pyramid scheme or you know selling something from a catalog or not really earning much money or whatever it was now working from home is probably going to be a massive thing you know on the adverts online so that's a a start you know it might be that you want to have a particular amount of holiday a year or to be able to take a sabbatical at some point in your life or to be able to change jobs within a company so that you can personally grow uh, and then change again back if necessary you know something like that and there are so many different things people might want within an actual company and I don't think that those things are necessarily the top of the owner's agenda um, but the person in it can actually has quite a lot of power if they really try to to start incorporating these ideas into their teams and actually you know bringing things to the business owner they might not even realize uh, so that they can get staff that are even happier and they're going to give even more to their business yeah I, I totally totally agree so so that formula 
B times do equals have is a life formula. It's not, not a business owner's formula exclusively. It's a life formula. So I met, uh, I met a lady about, um, about 14, 15 months ago at a networking event. And she, and I said to her, what, you know, what do you do for a living? She said, Oh, I'm, I'm a housewife at the moment. I've got kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, so what do you want to be? What do you want to be doing when you go back to work? She said, I want to be a midwife. It's okay. She said, but I can't. It's a, I need lots of qualifications for that and so on and so forth. And I said, just, just rewind. What did you just say? You, did you say you can't? What, and why can't you? Well, because I need lots of qualifications. Okay, so are you are you unable to do a midwife course that allow or to get the qualifications that you need in order to do something that you'd really love to do? How how much would you love to be a midwife? She said, oh, it's it's, it's really all I want. Okay, so we spent a couple of weeks kicking emails backwards and forwards together, and she's now on a midwifery training, whatever it is, degree or something similar, and at the end of 2021, she'll be a qualified midwife. Brilliant. But she said, I can't. Of course you can. You can have whatever you want, literally whatever you want. But you've got to know what you've got to do to get it. And then you've got to know who you've got to be to do it, to have it. Out of interest, what sort of age was she? She's 37, 38. Yeah. One of the things that I've struggled with um, whilst, you know, I'm at the point where I'm just literally trying to launch a business anytime soon. And one of the things I struggle with is I'm now 31, almost 32. And the idea of going into a five or six year training in order to then be able to help people in the way that I would like to do or to to fulfill, my, you know, to, to feel fulfillment in the way I want. Yeah. A six year wait for me, just it just doesn't work. Like I'm yeah. like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, if I'd started it when I was 20, then that might be possible. Now, it doesn't mean that six years of work isn't going to get me to a point where I can do even more. And it's mm -hmm. not that I'm unwilling to put the six years in. But what I don't want to do is wait six years before I can actually give some sort of assistance to others that fulfills me you know and it might be that it's a step-by-step -step journey and I think that's quite an interesting one that people feel too old to start something um, and that's why I've been trying to start something with the will you know with the willingness to then qualify and what I need to as I go along but yeah. not think I need to get qualified for the next six years in order to do something that fulfills me yeah 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 and I think that goes back to the to the point I, I made earlier on in that in that long ramble that I gave a few minutes ago and that is how important is it to you how important is that thing because if that thing is really important to you then there's a way to do it and because there's a way to do it we just need to figure out what that looks like in order for you in order for you to get there now if the response is I don't think I can wait six years to do something that I want then you don't want it enough yeah and I think that's it in a nutshell yeah, so no, are you, are, 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 is the business owner or is the individual or is the you know man lady whatever are they looking at something that they really 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 want because we're talking here about stuff with you really 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 want it's like somebody wanting to be a professional footballer you know you aren't just born with the skills to kick a ball around better than anybody else people like you know Ronaldo Johnny Wilkinson at rugby you know um the 100 meter sprinters whoever they train for 40 hours a week day in day out to do that stuff that's how they get to be the best in the world now they have some talent on which they build of course they do but everybody's got a talent for something but you've got to be dedicated you got to want it enough and then you've got to be dedicated enough to go after it and that's why for me uh, not just business coaching but life actually the analogy between life and sport is so close it's just ridiculous you want to jump a two meter hurdle. OK, you can do that. I can't do that. You can do that. I can't do that. You can do that. But you've got to train for the next two years, 40 hours a week 
eat the right food, sleep the right amount down, don't go out on the tiles every Friday night, and you can do that. Yeah. Oh, I don't want it enough. No, you're right. You don't want it enough. And that's why that person that's the gold medal holder at the 400 meter hurdles has the gold medal and you don't. Yeah. And I think if you are at the point where you think, okay, yeah, maybe I don't want that enough. Maybe it's that you focus too much on one thing when actually that one thing isn't what you need. It's the feeling you got when you got that one thing and you can get that another way. And that's what I've been working on personally is do I need to be qualified in that particular niche area in order to help somebody or support somebody when actually I can do that already with what I already know and somebody else can be qualified in that bit and but together they can get what they really really need and I still get to give what I need and I'll be able to provide more and more and more over the years because I'll become more and more qualified but I don't think that it's the fact that I don't want to have the end result is I just don't need it in that specific way yeah yeah, no, absolutely. It's a journey. And I think that's the, um, you know, we live in a society today, don't we, where we want everything now, you know, whatever else it might be, we want it all now. And, uh, and, and life is a journey, you know, learning is a journey. The, the one of the reasons I, I am able to do what I do now is because I've spent 35 years in business. And so I've, I've done everything the hard way. <laughs> I've made all the mistakes. You know, I've, uh, I've, I've burnt businesses, I've sold businesses. And, and so that gives me a, a different perspective on on the life of a business owner today that I meet that's in their 20s or 30s or 40s because I know exactly how they feel because I was there and so that I think is really important so it's about the journey and not and about the milestones on the journey and about the destination it isn't always about being able to flip a switch and say okay so I want that now so I'm going to have that and I think that's a really good uh, a really good life lesson absolutely and you know, for you, what does it mean for you to live more of a life? Well, brilliant question. Well, this is a four-hour podcast, right? <laughs> you got four minutes. Uh, um, so if I kind of went through my uh, through my journey, so so I left school at sixteen. I didn't have any real ambitions other than to go to work. So my father died when I was quite young. So I had a bit a bit of a um, an angst to go out and earn some money. I think that was, um, you know, we, we as a family, we were not particularly well off because my father wasn't around. So um, so I started working at 13 in my uncle's bakehouse, you know, lots of experience about doing um, all sorts of things from a business point of view. Left school at 16, went, became an apprentice inside a building as a highly qualified printer, uh, colour retoucher planner, really technical. Um, I loved it, really enjoyed it, but I spent eight hours a day in a dark building staring into a light box, touching up bits of film. wasn't really f- for me, so I decided I didn't like that, so I left and became, went into sales, loved going into sales, out on the road, company car, you know, felt really, that really made a big impression on me. And as I went through that that journey, then I ended up at Apple. So I was at Apple for four and a half years, loved that time uh, at Apple, left there, started a company. All of these things, I think in the early days, I never appreciated enough just how important uh, your family was your friends were and that life outside of work for me work was everything i loved it i gave way more hours to companies that i worked for than i ever should have done um, and at the end of the day you're only here once so today i can tell you absolutely categorically i have two grandchildren no actually i have four grandchildren two, two that are my children's grandchildren but that's there's another story in there somewhere uh three three kids um love them all to bits and the more time I can spend with them the better and I don't think I ever gave that enough credence early on so I meet people on a daily basis who will go to work in London 
or another city, they'll spend 14 hours at work, they'll come home, they'll eat their dinner, go to bed, get up at six, get on a train, go back to work. What is the point of doing that? Why would you do that? You're here once on the earth, just once as far as I'm concerned. I'm not religious in any way, shape or form. That's another conversation we can have. But you're here once. You need to do what's right for you. But don't forget friends, family, life outside of work um, is just so important. And I never gave that enough credibility over the years. It's really the last four or five years that I've started to understand exactly what that looks like. And I give my kids that advice every day. Don't work 16 hour days. Don't travel where you don't have to. Do work, enjoy work, earn your money. But you're earning money to live a life, not to go to work. What sort of age are your children right now? Oh, no, no, I haven't got to reveal, reveal my age now, am I? My, so my um, youngest is 23, 24 in October. The next one is 27. And the eldest is 30. And would you say that you spent enough time with them no. when they were young? No, absolutely not. No, no. So when my eldest was born, I was working at Apple and uh, and Apple was was my life. I was on a plane permanently touring the world. It was great. Loved it. Had a fabulous time, you know, bars, restaurants, drinking, working. Amazing. But no, I, I, I didn't spend anywhere near enough time with uh, with my eldest. A little better with the uh, with the middle one. But at that point, I was building my own business. And so that that took me away a lot and a lot more time with the youngest who uh, who I guess I'd kind of come down off that. Um, you know, Apple high roller life cycle. By the time he went to do his A-levels, I was uh, at Symantec. So I was spending a lot of time on a plane again, but it was a little bit different. He was a little bit older by then. So, so yeah, no, I, I definitely didn't spend enough time with him. So one thing that furlough and COVID has done is it's provided people like my eldest, who's been furloughed now for three months, time to spend with his two-year-old daughter that is invaluable. He would never known her like he does now having spent every day with her for the last 90 days if he'd been working in London like he was previously yeah so that's a massive massive benefit and do you think that even back then when you know things were a bit different when you're working at Apple if you'd wanted to spend more time with your family do you think back then it would have been possible or do you think the culture was so strong that you put those hours in and everyone around you did the same and it was expected as a minimum, even though you weren't contracted as that? Um, There were certainly people in the business that were like that. But I think one of the benefits of working for um, a company that operates in that, I don't want to call it, it's not a lifestyle product, of course it's not, but but it's very much a... um, an upper echelon kind of product. So there was a big golf world, there was a big party world and what have you. So it wasn't all about work. Um, and in fact, one of the reasons that made me leave Apple was I, I, I was massively conscious of the number of affairs that were going on internally between people that, that, that I knew and worked with on a regular basis to the detriment of their family it was one of the reasons I finally left because I couldn't uh, I couldn't look them in the eye and, and, and be right in my head about that. So um, before I got any further into that world, I, uh, you know, I resigned and um, went and did something went and did something else. Um, so I did have the choice. Uh, but I loved work and I, and I did love the job, you know, and they paid well. And, and I had a, a gold card for BA and jumped on a plane and, you know, first class everywhere. It was a it was a different world in those days. Um, and I did enjoy it. Did it allow you to have a really good time with your wife? Um, kids were very young, so she had coped amazingly well without me around all of the time. I think it I mean, it funded a nice house and we had a couple of nice cars. And, and when I was at home on the weekends, we, you know, we'd go out and go to nice places and what have you, which is fine. But I think with hindsight, she would have been much happier 
with me on half the salary and around enjoying the kids as they were growing up. Yeah. And I can only see that now in my mid 50s. I, I couldn't see it then in my whatever I was, you know, early 30s. Do you uh, think that if you'd had a COVID-19 situation where you'd been forced to ground, you yeah. might have seen it for yourself having had that, that sort of situation or lo- even losing your job? You know, if you'd had something quite drastic that had taken you and said, sorry, not an option. You're yeah. now at home with your family. Do you think you would have done it differently had you had that awakening? Yeah. Do you know, I think the thing that um, so I think the answer to that is pro- I probably would have done. I think um, so. I was born in Leicester originally. So by the time I had said my eldest we were in uh in um banbury in uh northamptonshire close to um close to the m40 there uh, away from my family and away from the people who had been a stabilizing influence for me my so my when my dad died my uncle one one in particular tim was a bit of a stabilizing influence he would have told me in no uncertain terms had i been living in the same place i was when i grew up to not be such a stupid idiot and pack it in and do this, do that and do this. So he was a big family man. So he was a great example of how it should have been done. Local business, go home for lunch, local counsellor, you know, well-respected in the community, but worked and played equally uh, equally hard. He would have told me not to be such an idiot. I know he would. Whereas the circles I mixed in, where it was a young, um, new, new, uh, new build housing estate, as it was in those days, uh, full of people just like me, who were all trying to make it and make a name for themselves and so on and so forth. And nobody ever thought that that was the wrong thing to do. This is an interesting one, though, isn't it, about the right and wrong thing to do. I mean, society shapes how we do everything. You know, what we grow up around, what our parents did, what people around us are doing. And I think one of the things that I've really realised is we don't live more of a life because we do what others expect us to or we do what we see and not what we really, really value. And if you'd been working all over the world, you know, barely spending time at home, but doing something you strongly believed in and that your wife strongly believed in and you were doing it on her behalf as well, maybe you worked on it together or something and and then she had children and it it meant that you weren't going to be there for a couple of years or whatever, but you were doing something that filled you with so much joy and she felt that too, then that would be maybe slightly different. Yeah. Um, you would still potentially miss that time with your children. But, you know, the fulfillment that you would both get through you maybe achieving something together, it, she might be your support from home. That, I think, would be different. But in this case where you're just doing it for the money, you're just doing it because society dictates it, you're just doing it because that's what you felt you had to do. That's the issue that I see. That's how yeah. so many of us are living now. Yeah, and I, I do. I do think there's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. I, I think for for me, so having lost my dad at 13 and then going to work at 16, it it was all for me was all about achieving. So I've been a lifelong achiever. I've always wanted to do the next thing. I've always wanted to take the next step. I've always wanted to take the risk. You know, I tell my, I often say I never gamble because I'd rather give the money away than I would gamble it. And my wife says, my wife says to me. But you've gambled all your life. Every time it's so five businesses I've started from scratch, two large corporations and, and, you know, a number of businesses in between that I've been and worked for. And she says, every time you move job, you gamble. Every time you start a new business, you gamble. You know, so you are gam- you are living your life by gambling. And it was she called you out she- on that, didn't she? <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, she's a smart. She's a, my, my wife is a very smart and patient lady. <laughs> um, so 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 I kind of, I, you know, I recognize it was all for me. It was all about achieving and not necessarily what society said I had to do. Um, I think it was just my background that, that caused me to want to always do better. But I, but I think your you know, your your point is well made. And if I could give anybody a message today 
that they could take away about living a better life, I'd go back to that be, do, have formula, because I think that that is the golden rule that everybody needs to think about. What do I want to have? Okay, so I want to have a happy family life with three children who are, you know, grown up and fulfilled and have their own kids and are happy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's what I want to have. What have I got to do to get that? Well, I've got to provide them with an upbringing that's suitable for them, etc. Who have I got to be to do that? Actually, I've just got to be somebody who's really stable and steady and not off flying around the world <laughs> and gambling because he started another company. So I, I, I think that's that's the advice I would give is, is focus on what you think the destination is you want and then figure out how you're going to get there. And who have I got to be to do that? Um, your point about doing something with, you know, with with my wife and wanting to achieve something. And therefore, you know, I could go off and I don't know, be a missionary or, you know, do something else that was fulfilling for both of us. I, I think there's a, there's a lot of truth in that. But that's about knowing what the have is. Yeah. What do what do I want to have? And it isn't all about money. Actually, if you can if I can shuffle off this mortal coil with a smile on my face, knowing, you know, my kids are happy and the grandkids are happy and nobody's going to say good riddance to me um, in the process, then I think I'll have done a I'll have done a reasonable job and I'll have lived a uh, I'll have lived a happy life. I, I'm having the most fun right now that I've ever had. That's kids. Amazing grandkids, work I love, people I admire and like as business owners that I'm working with. Yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great spot to be in. I think it's very interesting as well when you you watch grandparents give the grandchildren the time and attention they only wish they could have given their own children, yes. but that they didn't necessarily realize at the time. Absolutely. I 100%. mean how how many people have you seen that, you know, they might be amazing business owners or have achieved so much in their life and yet they they just adore their grandchildren and they are completely different than they ever were around children for the rest of their life totally that's me (laughs) (laughs) that that is me you know if you want to if you want to uh, see a tear appear in my eye my two-year-old Lottie my granddaughter Charlotte she'll come up and she gives the best hugs in the universe well you could i could melt into the floor it's just the most amazing thing ever and if you'd have asked me that when i was 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 i would have kind of shrugged my shoulders and gone you know it's great fine you know move on oh today honestly i'm i'm like putty in her hands what did you want darling you want a horse (laughs) grabs will buy you a horse don't you worry how many just two no we'll get the whole stable for you it'll be fine I would never have said that to my kids. <laughs> but then maybe you shouldn't be buying her a horse or two. Maybe there's some other lessons you could give well, her. <laughs> that was a slight exaggeration. Her mother would kill me if I bought her a horse. So. <laughs> That's true. But I think the really important part here is if you do happen to not have that time back, you know, maybe you've gone past a point where you can change that part of your life and you are in the position now where you've you only got to look forward to what you can now do. It's yeah. all very well saying I regret, but actually what can we now do that's even more powerful? And I think in our latter years, we actually have so much more experience, so much more potentially money than we ever had before, especially if we've spent our most of our life getting it. Yeah. We can achieve so much more good for other people, whether it be people that are in our family or in a much wider community. But I think that we are now able to give 
you know that child such a um, a beneficial upbringing even though we're not their parent we can still be majorly influencing and actually having a grandparent or a neighbor or a mentor what in whatever way you're going to help people yeah you can give them what their parents aren't able to give them because they haven't seen it yet yes absolutely right a- absolutely right yeah and I, I so I mean you used a word in there which I which I've deleted from my dictionary so regret is not a word that I that I recognize so so you, you know your life journey is a journey and so there's no point in regretting anything because why, why bother to look back I've been there done that experienced that that's fine that's made me who I am this is now about what happens going forward so I don't think I regret anything I've ever done um, but I if I could if I could modify it, if I could change it in some way, shape or form, it would have been to spend a little more time at home, um, you know, with the uh, with the kids. Um, your point around grandchildren is 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 really well made. So, I mean, if I just give you a typical Thursday in our house, um, so Lottie arrives about 830. Uh, I'm already at work by then. Really bad of me, huh? Um, <laughs> My, my son will come and work out of our out of my office um, down in the town and my wife will spend the entire day with Lottie. She won't do anything else. Oh, she'll give a lunch, of course. And, you know, but but it'll be park or swimming or this or that or the other. The entire day is dedicated to her. And that's your point. Right. She could never do that when she when our kids were young because there were three of them and she was doing part time work and this, that and the other. Now she'll give her her whole time and I'll go home in the evening and I won't do any work in the evening and you know we'll give a tea and a bath and this that and the other and it's just um yeah it's just it's just fabulous so you get to be involved now in a way that you never were and she gets to benefit from you in in a way that you could never benefit somebody to that level before absolutely so so I was with them at the weekend she said to me uh on Sunday as we were leaving oh don't go to Gramps I said I've got got to go die I've got work tomorrow she said you're my best friend Gramps I love you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and at that point you just go oh what did you want <laughs> if she says not to go to work you're like oh that's a really hard one I love what I do because oh, it helps no, others no. as well ah oh. I know, I know. I know but, but, you, but you you know you get the point and I think you can never you know how can you do anything else you give me all the money in the world all the money in the world nothing can pay for that or buy that or or provide you with something different fast boat fast car you know part of any of that none, none of that means anything in light of that not a sausage cool, you'll be retired before you know it yeah yeah <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> I've got a ten. I've got a ten-year plan, Jane. So uh, I'm only uh, I'm only 18 months into my ten-year plan. Okay, okay. And in the meantime, you're having a lot more time where you're not working than you ever did before. A hundred percent. I finish at uh, three on a Friday and go and play golf. Um, I take two hours out during the week to go to the gym um, out of the working day, and I do that deliberately because otherwise it just takes over. And if you're not careful. I'll be back where I was before and, uh, you know, working more hours than I than I should. So it's now about my life outside of work. Uh, enjoy your work. Get the most out of it that you can. Don't overdo it. But it's about your life outside of work that's important. And I think if we if were one lesson, I hope the population has learned as a result of, uh, of COVID. It is exactly that. There is more to life than work. Thanks for listening, everybody. That had so many important points. If you'd like to get hold of Simon, he is available on LinkedIn under Simon Elson. 
And if you'd like to contact me, as always, I'm on Instagram at incrementaljane, or you can visit my website, www.canidoitmyself.com. Look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. <laughs>